Wouldn't it be nice to have a yellow brick road, huh? I'm sure most of you are familiar with uh, that great classic, The Wizard of Oz, and Judy Garland there is Dorothy. And you, if you're familiar with that movie, you know she followed a yellow brick road. And as she walked down that road, she had some good times and she had, she had some not so good times. She, she had friends and she had enemies. As a matter of fact, she had some pretty scary enemies, didn't she? Do y'all remember those flying monkeys? Let me tell you something, if you're six or seven years old, that's a lot to take in. That flying monkey uh, thing, that was a, a little over the top. But you know, whatever Dorothy was dealing with, you know she was never worried about what to do next. Folks, think about how much of your life is beat up, is spin up, is stressed out, is burned out by trying to think, what do I do next? you've got to make a decision and you don't know what to do or you've made a mess of things or you're, in a, you're just in a bad spot and how do I get out of this? What do I do next? Man, wouldn't that be a nice place to have a yellow brick road? I, I mean, good or bad, we always knew what to do next. Man, it'd be good to have a, a yellow brick road in our marriage, a, a yellow brick road in our finances, a, a yellow brick road with friends, a, a yellow brick road in our job. We'd always know, good or bad, what to do next. been reading a book the last couple of weeks, really good. I, I would highly recommend it. It's a book by Andy Stanley, and it's called The Principle of the Path. Uh, it's an excellent read in which he kind of looks at how we end up where we do. Because a lot of times we didn't make the choice of, of where we ended up. And, and too many of us end up in some places in certain areas of our life. Man, I, I didn't want to be there at all. I, I, I didn't want that at all. How do we end up where we do? And, and what he shows is that what we want to be, what we are trying to be, maybe even praying to be, oh, we want it with all of our heart, may have nothing at all to do with where we end up. But rather, it's the, it's the actual steps that we take. It's the actual direction that we take that charts a path for us. I mean, I can want... Matter of fact, you know, we've, since the turn of the new year, we've been talking a lot about family and we're thinking about that. And maybe some of us are saying, man, I really want to be better at that. Man, I want to be a good family man. I want to, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I, I, I really want that area of my life to be good. And we mean it. I mean, we want it. We mean it with all of our heart. But then what happens is Monday comes and I start making decisions and I start taking steps about being better at my job, about being better at my hobby. And after being better at my job and my hobby, then I need to be better at getting some rest. And I end up making all of these decisions. I take all these steps that have Nothing to do with what I want to be, with what I want to do, with where I want to end up. Andy Stanley says it like this in explaining the principle of the path. He, he says, many people's, why many people's dreams do not come true. It explains why intelligent people with admirable goals and ambitions end up far away from where they intended to be relationally, financially, educationally, emotionally, and even spiritually. It explains why people who seemingly have everything end up with nothing. You see, we're counting on our want for something, our desire for something to be enough, and we don't give any real weight to the actual decisions that we're making 
day in and day out. As a matter of fact, you know, I just make decisions. You make decisions. I make good ones and I make bad ones. Some of my decisions have, have great rewards and some not so great. But we, even then, we just still kind of leave it as a decision. We leave our decisions kind of isolated as this unique event that just stands there by itself. And nothing could be further from the truth. Our decisions are a series of steps. Our decisions connect the dots. They point to where we end up. Folks, a decision to not forgive charts a relational path. N not just with the person you know, you're not right with and that you don't forgive. No, to not forgive one person can actually have an impact on all of your relationships. It charts a path. A, a decision to, to buy something you can't afford charts a financial path. One decision can begin to impact all kinds of other financial issues. A decision to flirt with that little honey at the office. Little event, little decision. And it charts a path. Folks, all of our decisions add up to something. Andy Stanley kind of defines in, in its simplest form what the principle of the path is when he says direction, direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. The direction that you take with the decisions and steps you make each day that's what determines where you're going. Not what you want to be, not what you're hoping to be, not what you're praying to be, but where you actually start moving in your life. Folks, I think one of the, the first lessons that I think comes out of this book so strong is just to start recognizing how big a single decision is. A, a single solitary decision. Young people sitting over here to your left is a, a room full of people. Anywhere from, oh gosh, 25, 35 on up to, to 70. And some of them are in a place in life they don't want to be. They don't like where they are. They didn't plan on being in this spot. And, and, and we have a tendency to say, man, how did I, how did I get here? How, how did this happen? I want to tell you something. For some of us, it started with the kind of decisions you're making right now. You're making decisions about whether studying for a single Unimportant quiz is that important. You're making decisions about where you're going to hang out, who you're going to hang out with. You're developing attitudes and actions that are actually going to chart a path and the destination arrives at 37. And then you're going, how did I get here? You charted it right now. You started charting it right now. Folks, that's not to say we're not victims of some things. That's, that's not to say there are things that are, that are beyond our control. There are. But by and large, where you land is what course you charted. It's the decisions and the steps that you took. I'll tell you another little thing that's real important to know on this path. Happiness has nothing to do with knowing whether you're on the right path or not. You can be happy and content and successful and be absolutely on the wrong path in life. I mean, folks, think about when you get lost in a car. You know, you're driving down the road and, and you get lost. Now, have you noticed you don't notice the second you take a wrong turn that you're lost? Because if you noticed it then, you wouldn't be lost, would you? You you'd just back up and now you're not lost anymore. 
No, that's not what happens at all. You're driving down the road, enjoying some tunes, sipping on that shake and eating those fries. Probably right there is your first wrong decision. You Stop with the shake and the fries, okay? But you're listening to your tunes, going down the road, happy, it's beautiful, blue sky outside, and kind of sometimes it takes a while, but we go, this doesn't look like where I'm going. And you start to get that uneasiness. I, I, think I've, I think I've made a wrong turn somewhere. You start to know you're lost. Now, some of us can start to feel that way after just five minutes. Some of us, not so sharp. Some of us can get a good hour down the road before we realize, well, I'm going the wrong direction. Now, you know, we love it. Well, that's a stupid person. <laughs> you know, but I wonder what's dumber. Uh, to drive east for an hour when I'm supposed to be going west? Or to be walking the long path every day of my life with a big old smile on my face for 10, 15, 17 years? We've done it. We're doing it. We've got people around us who are doing it. I don't know about you now. I'm just scared to even move now. I'm just going to preach the rest of the sermon. I'm not taking a step. No, folks, I got great news for you this morning. God has a yellow brick road for you. God has a yellow brick road for every single area of your life. You probably knew it, didn't even put it together. I mean, if you open up your Bible, it might even be colored in yellow. This is a verse you know. I bet some of you even have it memorized. And if you think about what it's saying, God's saying, man, I'll lay out the road for you. You might have some hard times. You might have some bad times. There'll be good times. There'll be friends and enemies. But you'll always know what to do next. Let's look at this road. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not, here's the tricky part, rely on your own understanding. Think about Him or acknowledge Him in all your ways. And look at that. And He will guide you on the paths. He'll guide you. Folks, what an incredible promise. God is saying, I'll make sure your foot lands on the right place every single time. I'll mark out the path for you. As a matter of fact, it doesn't say path, does it? And he will guide you on the right paths. It's plural. I got more than one path in life, don't you? I've got, I've got a marriage path, and I've got a financial path, and a, a parenting path, and I got a, I'm just living for myself path. That's my favorite one. <laughs> and we've got all kinds of paths in life. And God says, you know what? You do. You've got all paths. And I can control, I can help, I can make every step on every one of those paths the right path. Now, if you are a thinking individual at all, You've got to at least look at that and say, how do I get some of that? How do I get that promise engaged? How do I get that promise working in my life? Well, did you notice there's three conditions there? Three things you need to do and God will mark out that yellow brick road for you. Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number two, do not rely on your own perspective. Don't rely on your understanding. Don't rely on your way of saying things. And number three, acknowledge Him in our ways. Those three things, and you've got a yellow path. You've got a yellow brick road for every path in your life. Now let's, let's think about those three things just for a, a moment longer. First of all, trust in Him with all your heart. Now in the Bible, the heart is, is symbolic for your drive. 
I mean, that's what's driving you. That's what's motivating. That's your will. That's their direction. In other words, it's your heart that's determining the next step. It's the heart that is motivating and driving that next step. So see how he puts these two things together? Trust him with that drive in your life. That's so important because, folks, we have a tendency, all of us, we have a tendency to say, I believe in Jesus and have that belief absolutely mean nothing at all. I believe in Jesus. Now, it's not going to affect how I talk, what I do, where I go. It's not going to affect my priorities. It's not going to affect anything this week. But I believe in Jesus. Well, what is that belief? A belief that doesn't actually affect anything. A belief that doesn't actually move anything. Well, that's what God is cutting through in this first condition. He's saying, listen, I, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about what you comes out of your lips. I'm not talking about what you say. I'm talking about a trust that is driven by your heart. I'm talking about a trust that determines where that next step goes. You're trusting in me for that step for that direction, for those thoughts, for those priorities. Now, the second condition, I don't know if it's really a second condition. Maybe it should be 1A and 1B. Because the second condition is just kind of the flip side of trusting in the Lord with all my heart. Instead of trusting in myself, I'm going to trust in God. But now there's where the real crux of the problem is, isn't it? As a matter of fact, I was studying this passage, and gosh, I've studied this passage lots of times. Over the years, read this. It is one of my memory verses. But I, I thought of something in saying this I'd never thought of before. And that's this. By and large, okay? By and large, my thoughts, my perspective, my way of seeing things, my way of doing things is going to lead me in an opposite direction from God. And that means an opposite direction from this promise. Now, that's a, that's a big statement to say all of your thoughts are leading you 180 degrees the opposite direction of God. How can I make a statement like that? Well, folks, think about, think about commands in Scripture this way. God gives commands. He's saying, listen, I know what you want to do. I know where you would want to go. I know how you would think through something and see it. Don't do that. That's the wrong path. Do this. And, and you can apply that to any command in Scripture. Think of a command right now. You got a command in your mind? Okay, you without that command would do just the opposite. Take one like, like forgiveness, okay? Somebody, somebody hurts me, they lie about me, they attack me, I don't like them, they've hurt my feelings, and so I'm, I'm mad. Folks, the last thought that's going to come into our mind without the Bible is, you know what I need to do? I've been thinking about it. I need to forgive them. <laughs> yeah. Folks, nobody has that thought. No, you, you think about the silent treatment, you think about getting even, you think about what you're going to say about them, you think about punishing them, you think you get angry, you get... Folks, we have all kinds of thoughts and none of them is to forgive them. That's what that's talking about. Don't trust where your thought and mind is going to go with something. Trust my path. My path says forgive. I see, even, if, even as I deal with God's commands, I'm like, well, that's stupid. I'm not, for, they haven't changed. Well, if I forgive them, they're just going to take advantage of me. Do you see, even when we interact with God's commands, they don't make sense to us. We don't like them. That's what that passage is saying. With everything you've got, 
with everything that is defining and directing the next step, you trust my command to forgive. Yeah, but Lord, all of my thoughts. No, no, forget your thoughts. Don't even go there. Now, am I saying that all of your thoughts are bad thoughts? No. But folks, this next step on the path is really critical. And so God doesn't even put a formula in there for weighing your thoughts versus his thoughts. He said, just forget your thoughts. Put all your thoughts on my thoughts. And it's this little book right here that lets us know what all of God's thoughts are. Trust in that, not in this. Once I've done this, now I'm ready to acknowledge him in all my ways. I got all kinds of ways. I got financial ways. I got marital ways. I mean, in marriage, I got a lot of ways. Dealing with kids, I got a lot of ways. In all of those ways, I handle things and deal with things. I'm to be acknowledging him. Now, that acknowledge is a tricky word. Because that word acknowledge can mean almost nothing. It can be almost meaningless. I mean, you think about it. You know, you're walking through the mall. Got that boom, boom swagger. Okay, I'm walking through the mall, and I see you. All I've got to do is this right here. You see that? Did you see it? Did you see my, did you see my chin dip? You know what I just did? I acknowledged you. I acknowledged your existence. I'm walking through the mall, and I acknowledge your existence. I, I don't even like your existence on the planet, but I just acknowledged it. It's just a dip in my chin. You see how simple that is? Do you think that's what God means here? That, that I, I just, hey God, you're the man. Not doing anything you want. You go. You see, do you see how little acknowledging can be? That's nothing at all like what that verse means. No, to acknowledge God's ways. To acknowledge Him in all my... I'm coming up on a way. I'm coming up on a path here. I've got to make a decision about, about parenting. I've got to make a decision about my finances. I'm on a path. I'm acknowledging there is a God. He has a way. And I'm going to be held accountable for it. That, by the way, is the definition of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not trembling and shaking and being afraid to look at God. Fear of the Lord is there is a Lord. He has a way and I'm responsible to do it. That's what it means to acknowledge him. This next step I take is as somebody who believes there's a God and he told me to put my foot right there. And when I'm doing that, God marks out that yellow brick road. I'm acknowledging him in all my ways. Folks, this is not that hard. Now, it's hard to live. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's just always this battle because I'm pretty sure my ways are better than God's ways. And that's what we're battling every single day, isn't it? God's ways, man, I'm not doing God's ways. And, and we don't acknowledge him because we're battling. Then when we take those steps, we're not acknowledging him and we end up in places we don't want to be. We, things end up turning out nothing like what we intended or hoped or wanted. So I got to trust the Lord with all my heart. Lean not on my own understanding. Don't, don't rely on, don't even think about my ways. Acknowledge Him in every step that I'm taking. And I got that yellow brick road on any and every area of my life. Now, now folks, what I want to do is I want to illustrate one of these areas. We could pick any area in life to do this. I'm going to pick the one Proverbs chapter 3 picked. I want to pick our financial ways. We started with this last week. And we looked, at, we looked at a lot of passages. God has a lot of ways about our finances. But I, I want us to kind of imagine at the moment we're at the front of a financial path and I'm taking that first step. I'm wanting to acknowledge God on this financial path. What does that look like? Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6 lays out this yellow brick road for it. Verses 7 and 8 elaborate on it a little bit. And then in verse 9 it uses a financial illustration. 
It says this is what it looks like to acknowledge God. It means you honor him first with that paycheck. Uses the word harvest, but that's our word for paycheck. You honor him first. Now, I want to look at two other passages briefly this morning that look at what that first step on a financial path looks like. Now, this is important to every one of us. You know how I know? Because Frank Luntz told me. You don't know who Frank Luntz is, do you? Uh, he wrote a book called What Every American Really Wants. Really. That, that's the title, Really Wants Really. Number one thing Americans want is money. Now, not while I'm in church, but out there, number one thing I want is money. Every one of us is thinking about a financial path. Every one of us is thinking about where we end up with our finances. So we need the right path. And you can't possibly be on the right path without the right first step. So let's look at what acknowledging God would look like and what his first step looks like. Turn with me this morning to Malachi. We're going to look at two passages, one in Malachi, one in Matthew. They're right next to each other. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Hope you can reach one and, and study along with us. Malachi. You probably haven't spent a lot of time with Malachi. He's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you can find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Matthew, just go back to the left, you'll run right into Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in verse 7. Malachi 3, verse 7. It says there, Since the days of your fathers you have turned from my statutes, you've not kept them, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi, God starts this passage just dealing with generally, you know what, there's a problem between us. You're separate from me, you're away from me, and if you return to me, I will return to you. They ask the question at the end of verse 7, how can we return? How can I get back to God? How, how can I be right with God? How can I have God in my life? Verse 8, will, you, will a man rob God? Yet you were robbing me. And this is where we all ask the question that's right here. Robbing you? How did I rob you? Man, would that be kind of a fearful thing to be charged by? You're stealing from me. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't want anybody to accuse me from stealing from anybody. Much less stealing from God. What it says here. By not making payments of 10% in the contributions. That's how my translation reads. Yours may say, by not giving the tithe and the offerings. The word tithe is a Hebrew word. Simply means, literally translated, 10%. You're robbing me by not making the payments of 10% in the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. I mean, folks, could this not be written to America right now? Wealthiest nation ever in the history of mankind. And we do not at all acknowledge that any penny of it came from God. And we're certainly not restoring any of it. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse. Or yours may say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that, <clears throat> so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, a couple of things here about what's being communicated in this passage. And folks, I always marvel at absolutely how clear Scripture is and how unclear we get. I, I mean, whatever question you have about giving is answered right here. How much am I to give? It says it pretty clear, doesn't it? Ten percent. We're to give ten percent. Now, that's like what really strong Christians give. That's like what the super saint gives, right? No, that's, that's just the starting point. It's the bare minimum. 
The tithe is not what we work our way up to because he doesn't say you're just robbing me of tithes. He says tithes and offerings. In other words, there's an amount that is going to be beyond the 10%. You're robbing me of that also. You can't say that the high end is 10 when people are being charged of robbing God well beyond the 10. Now, I made the comment last week. And folks, I believe and we do, we support ministries outside of our church. But I believe the tithe, the first 10%, comes to the church. And I would say, I would delineate even more to the general budget because of this phrase. Bring the 10% into the storehouse, the church, so that there may be food. Food's kind of symbolic. The basic running of the body. The basic care of the body. That'd be the general budget. The general running and care for the church and the ministries of the church. That's where the tithe goes. What about these contributions and offerings? Everything else. Greater opportunities at missions. Opportunities to build. Other ministries that might come up above the budget that that we might present. That's where offerings go. That's above and beyond the 10%. Now you get a question like this and you think, man, you know what? I see what God's saying. I want to do that. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never done that in my life. That would be really hard for us to kind of, kind of, kind of switch and just all of a sudden start giving 10%. So a very common question I get is, I'm, I mean, surely, I mean, could I start at five? Can I start at four? Can I start at six? I mean, I mean, just starting. I mean, I'm trying to move toward obedience. Would that be okay? First of all, folks, I love the questions people ask me as if I give permission. A little newsflash here, folks. I ain't God. I don't even look like him. I walked on water the other day like all of three millimeters. And I'm not even sure I did that. I'm not God. I don't give you permission to do or not do something with your finances. Now, what I do try to do is direct you to Scripture. Now, see what I would say. Honestly, you want to know what I would say? I would say, folks, any step you move toward obedience is a good step. Any way you're seeking to honor him is going to be good and God's going to honor and bless it. So, yeah, I mean, I understand that. I understand trying to work numbers and and make it work. And let's see if we can build up to that. But you tell me, as you read this passage, would that be the right answer? He didn't say bring bring part of the tithe until you make this a part of your life. Bring part of the tithe until you get the other things resolved. I mean, folks, it's hard for me to get past that word whole. Bring the whole thing. You're robbing me. Well, what if I, what if I brought 7%? Well, you'd be robbing me at 3%. Folks, robbing is robbing. He doesn't suggest an alternate starting point. He says, bring the whole tithe into the church. Now, question. This is, the, this is what we call the Old Testament. We're about to turn a couple of pages into the New Testament. There are some who struggle with this being in the Old Testament because it's, it's in the Old Testament. By the way, I noticed it, we don't have that problem with any other issues. We're fine with all kinds. We're fine with all kinds of things in the Old Testament. But now giving that is in the Old Testament. I don't think the New Testament says this. I don't think the New Testament. I mean, that was under the law, you know. So we're not. I don't have to do that anymore, right? Well, that's a very fair question. Let's see how Jesus answers it. Turn with me to Matthew, one book over, Matthew twenty-two. Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse fifteen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him. That's Jesus. They're trying to plot how to trap Jesus by what he said. 
They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You defer to no one for you don't show partiality. Tell us, therefore, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But perceiving their malice, Jesus said. Now, it says perceiving their malice because Jesus is seeing right through them here and what's going on. They could care less what Jesus thinks about taxes. And they don't care what he answers. What they care about is getting rid of Jesus. And they're trying to build some momentum. They're trying to build a crowd of people that will go with them in getting rid of this guy named Jesus. And say, you know what we need to do here? We need to lob out a grenade that blows up no matter what he answers. So let's talk about taxes. Because, you know, apparently even 2,000 years ago, people had opinions about taxes and get a little sensitive about it. Boy, some things never change, do they? All right, let's talk about taxes, okay? And what they're counting on here, there's two groups. The majority of Israel sees Rome as absolutely immoral and ungodly. And if I'm giving money to Rome, then that makes me and my money a part of this immoral, ungodly, ungodly government. And I don't want to do that. I don't believe we should do that. And then you've got another group of people that, that maybe are benefiting by Rome's rule, by Rome's leisure. I like the peace of Rome. I like the protection of Rome. You know, I mean, we need, God says, honor the government. We need to be paying taxes. So you see, you've got two pretty distinct groups. No matter what Jesus says, he's going to make one of the groups angry, right? And then that's the group these people go to and say, man, we've got to get rid of this Jesus. So that's what it means there when it says he sees through their, their malice. Well, let's see what Jesus answers. Verse 19, show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a Daenerys, whose image and inscription is this, he asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Je Jesus uses a sentence here, uses a parallel structure. And he says, first of all, give to the government what belongs to the government. Jesus, maybe to some of our consternation, authorizes the authority of the government. He says the, the, the government has the authority to call for those taxes. You're to pay those taxes and rest at ease. God will hold them accountable for what they do with that money. God will hold them accountable for what they do with that authority. But they do have the authority to do that. But then Jesus goes somewhere they didn't ask anything about. They didn't ask anything about giving to God, but Jesus goes there and He does it in the parallel structure of this sentence. He says... As you give to the government, so give to God. Now, folks, when you give to the government, who determines what you give? I, I, by the way, I challenge you to say, I'm going to decide what I give to the government. If you do that, they've got a wonderful place for you to live, free room and board. You know, I mean, folks, we don't get to say, you know what? I, you know, I'm pretty happy with the government right now. I think I'm going to stroke them a check for $25 this year. I'll put a little note, spend it any way you want, knock yourself out. No, I, I, don't, I don't get to pick what I'm giving to the government. Now, now, do you see how Jesus is writing this sentence, communicating this sentence? In the same way, give to God what is God's. Do I determine what belongs to God? You know, actually, the New Testament does come along and give a good amount of freedom in how we give to God. The tithe was just the beginning, folks. There was all kinds of offerings under the law that you gave to the Lord. It actually, at the end of the year, would probably end up being somewhere between 30 and 40% of a person's income. 
And a lot of that is knocked off and it's brought back down to this starting point. And beyond that, with that word contributions or offerings, there's a, there's a great deal of freedom. But there is still a starting point. When it says give to God what is God's, that kind of begs the question, well, well what's God's? I mean, I mean, it doesn't say tithe. It doesn't give a percentage there, does it? But see, that's you and me interacting with this story 2,000 years later. To understand what was being said, you've got to go back to the context of the speaker and the audience. Who's the speaker? Jesus. He's Jewish. Who's his audience? They're Jews. Where did they take all their direction from? The Old Testament. So when Jesus says, give to God what is God's, there was nobody in that audience going, well, gosh darn, I wonder what God's. I wonder what percentage that... Lord, could you elaborate on... No, they all know exactly what he means. He's referring to the tithe. Give the 10%. Acknowledge that there is a God. Acknowledge that He has a financial path by giving to Him what is His. It's His, therefore not to give it is to rob Him. I may be holding it. It may have my name on a paycheck, but it is God's, and I acknowledge that by giving to Him first. It's God's. You see that? We give to God what belongs to him. Now, some people say, well, but still, he didn't use the word tithe. I mean, how do we know that's what he really meant? Maybe he changed it somewhere. You know, folks, Jesus has no problem interacting with and commenting on the Old Testament. And there are things that changed from old to new. One of them was the dietary laws. Under Leviticus, there was a very strict law on what the Jew could eat or not eat. Jesus comes into the Gospels, into the New Testament. He's talking about that. He says, you know, the issue is really not what goes in your mouth. The issue is what's in your heart. And then he says, you know what? We're going to change that. All food is clean. So Jesus clearly will interact with the Old Testament. He'll also tweak what was said in the Old Testament. Remember, remember when he said, you know, under the law, you were told not to murder. I'm going to ramp that up a little bit. You're not even allowed to hate. You remember under the law when it says not to commit adultery? I'm going to ramp that one up too. You're not even allowed to lust. So you see, Jesus very freely moves around and interacts with what the Old Testament is saying. And when he comes to this point, does he interact with it? Does he comment on it? Does he change it? Not one bit. He knows everybody in his audience is thinking of the tithe and he makes no comment. He's absolutely comfortable leaving them right where they are. I believe just based on this passage alone, Jesus clearly teaches the principle of the tithe because he doesn't change it. So, folks, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm at the start of my financial path. Now, my financial path, has, it's got to do a lot of things. Man, I've, I've, got to, I've got to pay for water and gas and college, and i got car insurance, and, and I want to eat. You know, I might do something fun this week. i got this, this new shirt I want. I mean, my financial path has got a lot of stuff to do. And when I get to the end of this path, I want it to be good, don't you? I want there to be something left over at the end of the path. I'd like not to make a mess out of this path. Okay, what's the first step on this path? The first step acknowledges there's a God. Acknowledges that everything I do with money on this path is His money. And I show that acknowledgement by giving the tithe. Folks, that's the first step of marking out the yellow brick road. But I want to tell you something. It's not the only step. Okay, giving is not a spiritual lucky charm. Now, pastors aren't supposed to say this because I'm just supposed to want you to give regardless of what it means and does for you. But it's not. Spiritual giving or, or giving is not a spiritual lucky charm. It is the first step on the path. 
Okay? I gave today, but that doesn't mean I can go out tomorrow and buy something I can't afford. That doesn't mean I can, I can go out tomorrow and hoard money and act like this is what's making my life good. This is, this is what I'm depending on for life. Folks, remember all those verses we looked at last week? God's got a lot of financial ways that defined our attitude, our behavior, and our actions with money. Giving is the first and most important step, but it's not the only step. It doesn't gloss over everything else in our finances. You know, I think a lot of pastors and churches, we turn giving into a spiritual lottery. You know, we say, oh, no, 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 shame on you. Do not go down to the gas station and buy $10 of lottery tickets and in hopes of getting $1,000. No, you come give that $10 to me. You come give that $10 to me. And, and guess what? God will give you $1,000. You heard that? If you haven't, turn on your TV today and you'll find it in about 15 minutes. I, I mean, and, and you know what? The unbelieving world, that's what they hear in the church. That just give me money, give me money, give me money, and, and, and God will give you a whole bunch more. Well, you know what, folks? I don't know that the Scripture actually makes that exact promise like that. No, it says God has a lot of financial ways for me, and I acknowledge Him by walking in all of them. Not just the first one. The first one's the most important one. But then there's a lot of others that have to follow in order for that financial path to come together. I do believe God blesses. Malachi said that, didn't he? God said, test me. Did you know throughout the Bible, testing God is a sin? But this is the one place in our finances that God says, test me. I want you to see how trustworthy I am. I want you to see I will bless you. Now, does the blessing take the form of you give me ten, I'll give you a thousand? It might. He might bless you with more money. There is absolutely a spiritual principle that if you're faithful with a little, He tends to provide more. But the blessing may come in the form of, I'll make everything you've got last longer and work better so that you don't need more of an income. The blessing might be contentment. The blessing might be a greater wisdom and understanding of how to manage these resources that God has put into my hands. The blessing can come in all kinds of forms. So I don't want to turn. I mean, it might help me get more money if I could make you believe that, that, that you know, you're going to get a whole bunch back. It's just not what the Bible says. So folks, here I am. I, why am I focusing on finances today as a part of this? Because I believe the first and most important step is what we've looked at today. It's acknowledging it's God's and that I do that by giving the tithe. Because if I go by statistics... And by the way, before I even tell you those statistics, folks, I think our church is wonderfully and amazingly above and beyond the statistics. You are incredible in your faithfulness and in your obedience in the area of giving. I mean, when you look at what our, our economy has been through in the last two years and what has happened in the giving in this church in the exact same time period. I was with 21 churches, 21 pastors uh, last week, not the one that just went by the week before that. 21 great churches great pastors with we're talking about a variety of different issues in in our churches they're all large churches of those 21 churches 18 of those churches were missing budget this year by over six figures right now your giving this year is like 15 or 16 percent ahead of last year's giving we're, we're going to meet our budget this year uh, as it ends in march so you have given incredibly faithful and incredibly well. I applaud you for your obedience, your faith in God than that. When you do look at the statistics, 
75 to 85 percent of the people in America who call themselves Christians, who, who, who claim the name of Christ, give, and this is statistical, it's from the IRS, our best friends, give between zero and two percent of their income to the church. And folks, you hear that? Three out of four believers do not believe Jesus. Three out of four people are robbing God who claim the name of Christ. And then all of a sudden we end up somewhere on our financial. How did I get here? We've been charting that course our entire marriage. We've been charting that course ever since we started getting an allowance. We've been charting that course ever since we got a paycheck. It's my check. It's mine to do with as I please. I don't have to give that. You see, with each decision, we're charting a course. I just think America is an incredible picture of what Malachi is talking about right here. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of humanity. I mean, the poorest of us has had more money flow through their hands than the average person who's lived on this planet. And we don't believe a single penny of it comes from God. And we don't believe we're accountable to him for a single penny of it. And then things start to crater and we're looking around going, how did this happen? Because we refuse to acknowledge God and we rob him. And if you go by the statistics, the church, capital C. We're no different than the world. We got the same exact attitude about money as people who don't even believe there's a God. And perhaps that's the problem. Our belief actually. Is nothing. Folks, God's marked out a yellow brick road for your finances and for every other area of your life. He has said, acknowledge me. Here's how you do it. Just one question left. Do we believe him? Let's pray. Father, I... I just look at the giving in this church and I believe I'm praying before a group of people that that really do believe you. Really do seek to honor and and respect you and to acknowledge your ways as they're walking down their financial path. And I thank you, God, that you seemingly have kind of made that the, the DNA of this particular local church. God, I know there's, there's others of us though in this room for whom this is a brand new idea, a brand new concept. Maybe it's not new at all. We've just been able to resist the convic- conviction that we really don't believe you in that area. Lord, wherever we are in this church family, I, I know this, we're a part of the United States of America. We are a part of the wealthiest people that have ever lived. We're a part of a people that have refused to acknowledge that you're God. Have refused to acknowledge that every bit of our prosperity has come from you. God, I ask your forgiveness on this nation. From our government to our businesses to our households. We've rejected the idea that there's a God when it comes to our money. God, I have to confess that. I just said our money, my money. It's not even ours. God, would you cleanse us of that sin and and in the church? Because God, I know that's where it has to begin. As we begin to rebuild a financial path for this nation, as our government, as our businesses, as Wall Street is looking at that, 
God, in our individual lives and homes, may we acknowledge there's a God. May we acknowledge that he has laid a very clear path. And we're going to honor God. We're going to acknowledge God and how we live on that path. God, would you help it begin in this church? Would you help it begin in the church? May, we, may that be a part of how this nation returns to God. God, we ask for your help. I know this is a big budgeting issue and the numbers don't quite add up. God, would you guide us? Where there needs to be repentance, where we need to change, would you guide us in how we can begin to move toward obedience so that we're honoring you and acknowledging you with all we are, with all we have. Because God, I, I really need that yellow brick road. I, I really need you to mark out the path for me. Thank you for offering it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.